Welcome to Silicon Valley Momentum, where advisor and author Roland Siebeling talks all things tech startups and brings you interviews with founders across the world. Now, here's your host. Hello and welcome to the Midstage Startup Momentum podcast. My name is Roland Siebeling and I'm a scale-up coach and ally. Today, I'm so proud to have with us dialing in from London, Taryn Gore, the co-founder and CEO of Cuffoodle. Hello, Taryn. Thank you for joining Hi, Ronan. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Excellent. Excellent. So you were telling me that London is um, unusually warm and sunny this time of year, and yet you're stuck in a podcast studio with me. I'm really sorry about that. But let's talk about Cafoodle. What is uh, Cafoodle's mission in life? What do you change in the world? What do you offer? So Cafoodle is a food tech company. Our mission in life is to be all about food. So on the techie side of it, we basically want to deal in a big data. In yeah. the day-to-day side of it, we're a food compliance software that works with commercial kitchens, uh, mainly in the UK, but also have a few clients internationally. And we help them comply with all the different food legislations. So we move ingredients information around like micronutrition, macronutrition, costs and allergens. And we basically architect that information and surface it in an easy to use way where it can be sent to the likes of, you know, Just Eat or Grubhub or the restaurant's websites or any application so that we can make it safer for diners to see what's in their food. And when I say diners, we look at that from everyone. So we work with schools. So we'll start in primary schools. Uh, We work with primary schools, secondary schools, universities, uh, restaurants, bars, cafes, as well as then hospitals and care homes. So we do that kind of full life cycle of the human And our goal is to make the planet basically healthier by giving people food information that they need at different points in their life from different establishments. Wow, I like that you really connect that also to that ultimate uh, big inspiring goal, like to make the planet healthier. That, That is ultimately, I'm sure, what gets you and the team up every morning, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we started six years ago and it's the momentum around this topic has just kept growing and growing. So I think it's it's now really great to be part of a huge ecosystem because there's so much going on in the food. We, we couldn't build everything. So we're, we're very big on collaboration. But I think the idea of working with people who reduce carbon footprint and increase sustainability and look at plant based is really, really exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, I think that's also something that not, doesn't always come easy for startup founders to start realizing you can't do everything yourself. And how do you start partnering with people, right? Even if their product is not exactly how you would have built it if you had had the chance. Uh, but you mentioned that Cafuto was started six years ago, Taryn. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit more about how did you get into this part of the business? Maybe something about uh, who you started it with as well? Sure. So I got really interested in the way technology can be used, mainly because in Vegas, you know, tech gaming, there's quite a lot of that going on. Um, But I was quite interested to see how that was transferable to food. And it just so happened that Kim and I got chatting one day and she had this idea of an app. So Kim is very consumer focused. She's got some amazing companies under her belt. uh, And she really wanted to help diners make good choices, which was the most noble idea and really, really good. But the more we chatted, I kind of said, so the problem we have is that so much of the industry is on pen and paper and, and it's pretty mm-hmm. antiquated. So you can have the best intentions in the world. The quality of the data you're getting isn't going to be good and it just won't, it won't help consumers make 
educated safe choices because it's not right so as that kind of evolved in that first year of 2014 we're kind of trying to think how to solve this problem could we work with someone and it basically ended up with us building this kind of really robust kitchen management system that could get chefs off of pen and paper and off of excel spreadsheets onto kind of a more intelligent user-friendly system that could then kind of send food information in different formats to different players in, in the market. And we did that through kind of 2015, where we were very much concentrating on how can we make eating out of home safer, um, mainly in like restaurants and bars. And we were lucky enough in, in, my, in typical Taran style, I think I, I had an incident where my aunt went into hospital and the hospital food was just appalling. And she was diabetic, going in for cancer surgery, and all she was getting given was sticky toffee pudding and chips and really odd food. Mm. Uh, and I just remember having a rant um, at someone about how appalling hospital food was. And I suppose I had this conception coming from the hospitality industry that hospitals are big, they have lots of staff, they have very big kitchens, hospital food, you're trying to make people better. You know, why mm-hmm, I just mm-hmm. assumed it had been done well. And actually, it really isn't. Um, so we mm-hmm. um, ended up complaining to a lot of people at the time, um, which ultimately resulted in actually a government grant um, okay. to, to look at how we could take our software into the healthcare space and then how we could bring in not just kind of the health needs of, actually, I don't feel like having 500 calories today, but actually the fact that I'm on warfarin, I'm hypertensive, I'm going in for the surgery, what should I eat? the night before or what should I eat whilst in hospital and then even more importantly when you're in long-term care such as a care home how to plan nutritional requirements for, for those people that you are feeding as a chef but also to allow family members to have an input on the aging population. Wow that's awesome and such a strong vision to to bring into practice right so how have you divided the role between yourself and Kim then? Uh, Actually, as it so happens, Kim is a brilliant, so she's a serial entrepreneur. So she's currently running a voice recognition software for children. Um, Oh, she's already moved to to a new startup. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, she's moved to a new startup. In the beginning, I think picking the right co-founder is is really, really hard. Kim is very Uh much an ideas person. So I think we always kind of knew that Kim knew what she wanted to build and knew what she wanted to do, but is very, is very brilliant at the ideas and that I would come in to kind of do the day-to-day operations or the day-to-day kind of running of the company. And then that's now evolved to obviously I've got an amazing ops director and now I'm going, you know, driving the vision of the company and thinking about what's next for Caputo and how does that all work? But yeah, d- dividing up the roles was a lot of brainstorming of you do this, you do that. And I think just being really communicative with people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, indeed, uh, picking the right co-founder and also um, continuously deciding if it still makes sense to be that pair or if you should somehow move on, I think is best practice absolutely in startups, right? So I have to ask, of course, having such a background in the hospitality industry and with all the care homes you mentioned, how has the pandemic been influencing business? Um, So, I mean, COVID uh, was... Uh, we basically closed the final round. We're lined up. We've done three X two years in a row. We're really excited mm-hmm. to kind of try and do a five X, have a really good year. Close our final round on the 6th of February. England went into lockdown on like the 14th of March. Wow. Okay. Okay. So just in time, right? Yeah. Just in time to close the final round. But the pandemic was, you know, we couldn't hire at scale because it was, you know, we onboarded quite a few people remote, but you know, sales started to slow down. We're lucky in the fact that 65% of our revenue comes from healthcare and obviously actually hospitals and care homes stayed open. We weren't necessarily, you know, unfortunately did get preoccupied 
with a lot of other things that were going on that were actually much, you know, what they considered much more important. And at the time, completely understand that. So yeah. our sales did slow down, but we were lucky that we had 65% of our revenue in care homes and hospitals. I mean, we as a company ethically decided to freeze all of our licenses for any food business that wasn't open. Yeah. Because it just, you know, everyone's struggling so much. It didn't, it, to just charge someone because they've signed a contract just didn't sit right if we weren't mm-hmm. having an, an impact on their day-to-day business. Um, so we froze license fees, but then, you know, we kept the whole team on kind of helping people design the comeback menus, I call them. Because mm-hmm. we kind of thought, oh, okay, we closed down in March, but we'll come back in summer. And then you guys want to have loads of healthy options on your menu and loads of things that are like five under 500 calories that people can mm-hmm. grab. And we have lots of legislation in London that it was really exciting to see the people innovating. So we had one client that did post-box cocktails that they needed mm-hmm. our, our labeling software for. Um, mm-hmm. And another client that entered the takeaway sector, so needed to send the allergens. So we had a lot of different clients innovating. Um, mm-hmm. we, also, we also innovated and created an order and pay software so that you could do deliveries and do takeaways, do click and collect our software and order from tables. So that was quite exciting. So we probably didn't obviously do the 5x growth. We, we still kind of did 3x on our, on our licensing. So that was good, but it was, it was a tough year. And I think, you know, we went, our whole team went completely remote for pretty much 12 months within 24 hours. And, and we've actually decided to stay remote. But at the time, it, it was quite surreal, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I hear that from so many startups. I mean, some of them were already fully remote up front, but it was pretty rare, of course, before the pandemic. And now I do think the large majority of them are saying, like, there's really no point in us getting back to the office, right? Because we've kind of figured it out. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, more doable than we thought, right? So, but okay, let's uh, let's go back from the technical challenges of the pandemic which hopefully we will all forget soon like let's go back to your vision so where are you now and where do you want to be let's say in 10 years time how big could could food become and where do you see your rightful place in the world uh well in 10 years 10 years time i hope it's on a beach in barbados i won't i won't lie Um, (laughs) but but no in, in all seriousness i think we're at that kind of really exciting moment. You know, we will come out of this pandemic. Consumer behaviors will go back to normal. I think, if anything, people are thinking about being healthier, eating better. Um, unfortunately, the rise of food allergens also obviously drives our product, but it's also a very sad kind of outcome. I think in the next 10 years, I mean, 10 years is a long time. I think our next few steps are uh, we're a social impact business. Yep. So um, I'm really passionate about tracking the impact we have you know, whether that's a child in a school who doesn't get bullied anymore or can actually easily eat because they don't have to have a, a an armband or sit at a separate table to everyone else yeah. with the allergens, or whether we can help people live better for longer because, you know, even though they have dementia, they're able to have access to better food or we know what's better for them based on their requirements. So our next steps, um, which I know sounds so cliched, is around getting the, the right data. So... Yeah you know, really capturing what we think is, is best for people. And, and then, and that will probably still take a bit of time. And then trying to get that mainstream and not just from a business perspective, but really passionate about the fact that when someone's struggling, who's pre-diabetic or when a child is struggling with their weight, with the childhood obesity rising, that getting it right. And this idea of food as a preventative medicine, I'm, I'm really passionate about. And I think the more, the easier we can make that for people to say, you know, yes, I do really fancy deep fried fish and chips tonight, but actually it's just as easy for me to, A, even order grilled 
chips and roast potatoes, uh, grilled fish, sorry, and roast potatoes, but kind of just start that kind of subtle education around making the right choices more often that I think will will help people. And then just making that easier to follow that, you know, we're so convenience driven that I think we need to make health easier. And I think right now, you know, there, there are very few people who completely understand what's in food and what to eat, whether that's shopping in a supermarket, cooking at home, or eating in restaurants. It is quite confusing to know if a salad is actually a healthier option, considering the dressing and everything like that. So looking at uh, the growth that you want to achieve with Cafudo, at the moment you said it's kind of full life cycle, serving every diner everywhere, I think you said, right? From schools, restaurants, healthcare, cafes, bars. Have you found, uh, you know, you did mention 65% of your revenue comes from the healthcare sector, right? Is that kind of like where you first landed and that you'll then expand from? Or do you think that's really like your core customer that you can learn from the most? So yes and no. I think care homes are a very interesting market. The aging population is obviously a very hot topic. It's, you know, they have very specific nutritional needs and I'm very passionate about improving the frailty and the link to nutrition in the care homes. But the other sector that we're getting a lot of sales in, but also that is obviously has similar problems, but different in the food transparency is, is schools. So, I mean, education, you know, 10% of children have a food allergy. And I think the big thing we have with food transparency in schools is, you know, both in the States and in the UK, you know, the States have, I think, eight allergens you have to, you have to show we have 14, but in schools, someone can be allergic to a pineapple or kiwi fruit or apples, and they can Mm -hmm. be allergic to raw carrot, but not cooked carrot. Right. So I think making that better and easier for schools um, is probably where we will also spend a fair amount of our focus on. So I think education and healthcare are probably our two kind of core sectors. Yeah, so the, the common theme there, it seems to be, is that there's an underlying thread of moving from mass kitchens, one meal for everyone, towards uh, more customized options while still keeping that efficiency, I guess, right? To an extent, Roland, I, I think uh-huh. what we've got to be careful of is it's very hard if you say in a school of 300 pupils, you can't create 300 different dishes. I think what I would like to see, personally speaking, is I get personalized nutrition is a very hot topic. I, I don't know if that is right in mass catering because of the, the rise of food costs, sustainability, everything else a chef has to consider. But I, I do hope that we can get to a stage where there can be a meal option that based on what's available can be slightly tailored for people with different needs because you know especially in healthcare with the rise of dementia what we call food envy as a, as a normal consumer is a real thing you know I, I don't really want to be getting a different meal and as a kid with the allergy I don't want to be given a lettuce leaf and a carrot when everyone else is having chicken pie yes of course yeah, yeah you know, I hear we, you. Ha- we have to think about how we can make personalized nutrition inclusive and I mean that at home I mean I'm sure you have a family I'm, you don't want to cook four different meals every night because everyone's had their gut biome, you know, everyone's doing their genome diet. You kind of want to cook one meal and maybe someone has extra potatoes because they went to the gym or their body is good with carbohydrates and someone else is more protein. Mm-hmm. But the core ingredients and the core menu is the same, if that makes sense. Yeah, my uh, my sister and my niece have severe celiac, so um, I, I'm kind of indirectly familiar with the problem. And, uh, you know, the food envy indeed is also something that I've seen, especially when it's 
when the, the person providing the meal is not the same as the person consuming the meal, right? When it feels like an imposed choice. So uh, I can so, totally get that. Um, so, okay, so looking at those uh, target markets, so care homes and schools or the broader education market, uh, how do you think about your go-to market? So how do you reach those customers? How do you uh, ultimately persuade them to work with you? And how scalable is that? Um, so we actually do do lead generation. We have yep. a really good CRM. We have a database that we put through a pretty standard sales cycle. We also uh, engage in the community. So we get involved with, you know, Public Health England, the school food meals. Um, we are considered, you know, we, we also try and give back. So it's not always about just buying the software. It is about us having a presence and trying to support schools, you know, when it was COVID uh, happening. I think the scalability for us is the referrals. So we work with yeah. quite a few different strategic partners in education. And also when a school uses us, they'll then refer us to everyone else in the council or everyone else they come across. From, from, from You've got area. high referral scores at this stage. Yeah. So I think at the moment, probably 50% of our business comes from someone referring us. Oh, wow. um, and for good or bad reasons, you know, chefs move around quite a lot. Um, yes. So if they, and that's quite interesting for us, because if, if they've used Cafudo somewhere and they go somewhere else, the first thing they say is, can we put Cafudo in? Yes, um, yes. I think I've seen that phenomenon with uh, certain softwares, for sure, in industries where people move around a lot. Sometimes yeah. the business even certifies them as a official user of the software. And then uh, that makes, they put it on their LinkedIn and that's another advertising, you know? <laughs> exactly. And I'd love Cafoodle to be that. I can't wait until I can see a really great chef with I'm Cafoodle certified. So I think I might have to speak to our marketing team about getting that done. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, yeah, talking about your team, how big are you guys at this stage? And by guys, I mean people from all backgrounds and genders, of course. So, and how have you divided up the, the team between the different functions that you have? So we have actually just gone through a huge streamlining exercise. We were okay. growing um, team-wise quite fast and we kind of put a pause on it because of COVID, but also yeah. COVID kind of gave, I think the blessing of COVID is it almost gave us time to just take stock. What could we automate? Yes. What can we streamline? Yeah. Uh, and, we could, and we could do quite a lot. So we only have 17 people in the team. Okay. Um, and my dream is to keep it like below 20. I think if we could find a SaaS company with below 20 people, that would be great. I, I'm not in the business of building huge teams because we're in SaaS and I want the product to be easy to use. So I don't want to just have 100 people handling questions about software because it should be intuitive. But we are divided up between a tech team, obviously, so a tech and product team, which I kind of roll into one, a sales team, uh, marketing, customer success or account growth, as we call it. Yeah. Uh, and then we still have a few kind of project managers and ops guys. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so it's a, is it about a third technical, a third uh, market oriented and a third rest or how does it split up? Yeah, that, that, that is pretty much a split. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm guessing that's usually what I hear from companies around this stage. But I like that you're focused on staying below 20. Like most other founders I have on this podcast will tell me, and we're doubling the team every year, you know, and uh, that's a different take, right? Yeah, no, it is. And I think listen, they're, they're different people, and I'm sure I might regret saying this, but I kind of, you know, we've never hired a PA or an office manager. I kind of feel... Uh, also, to be really honest, Roland, I'm just a bit scared of how you keep the really awesome culture yes. when it grows. And that is, you know, and 20 is that number. Every founder I speak to, they're like, when you get to 21, ooh, what's your culture? 
because they don't fit around the breakfast table anymore, right? Even if these breakfast tables are virtual and healthy these days, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I've kind of thought if I can get away with that, that would be great. Well, there's one company I've heard of, I haven't worked with them myself, but a fellow coach has, um, and they run $300 million annual revenue with six people on the team. See, now that's and, the kind of company well. that sounds and like the, a good plan. And the way they do that, Taryn, is uh, by being extremely good at outsourcing everything. So they're basically like one of the top customers of Upwork and similar platforms. And all six people are essentially, you know, like top level executives who are just very good at structuring work for other people to perform. So... That might be a model for you guys to consider if you want to keep a small core team that to, uh, like to think about. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so very good. Uh, so we've already been talking for almost half an hour. So I wanted to give you some opportunity to also talk to our listeners and say, what do you need from people listening to this podcast? Is there, do you need leads? Do you need partnerships? Do you need recruits? What is, what is the, the burning need right now? Uh, so I think we're, we're always open um, to recruits. I think it's always interesting to see CVs. And as you say, those kind of top level people that can really take the business to the next stage. Yep. Um, right now, I, I'm quite, especially listening to your podcast and where people from around the world are, is really looking at partners. So yep. we've got to that stage now where we can take a breath. We've got, a, we've got an open API. We've got a really good, cool team. The software is completely transferable. Um, you know, we are translating it as well. But I think it would be really interesting to get, I mean, I want to say healthcare and education, but obviously completely open. We work with Just Eat Delivery Platform in the UK. Yep. I think it would be really good to get a partnership with another tech company where we can feed the food information into their delivery platform. Yeah, uh, so you're really seeing yourself become more of an upstream player where your API feeds into the downstream players who own the customers. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, that's uh, our big play at the moment. And mainly because we want to see what people are eating, but we want to get that information to people. I think especially, you know, post-COVID, there's, there's a huge rise in that convenience of food, but wanting, wanting the healthy option. And we've proven now that, you know, putting calories on your menus or showing the nutrition increases the sales of the restaurant because people will order a takeaway on a Monday night when they've had a long day at home. But they want to know yeah. that it's healthy. That's absolutely right. Are you looking for uh, further investors as well, or is that too early at this stage? Um, we will be doing next year. So we'll Next year, okay. So you're looking for a new round in somewhere in 2020? Yeah. Uh, 22, uh, sorry, 22. I should say. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so we'll be, I mean, you know, fun rounds roll over, but I think we've got something that I'm not, there's something quite interesting we want to do in that B2B2C space. We'll be looking at kind of doing a fun round in early parts of next year. Awesome. Very cool. Um, excellent. And if people want to know more, where should they go? And is there something particular you would like them to download? You can go on to caputal.com, yeah. uh, which is our website, or you can drop me an email, which is taren at caputal.com if you want to find out more. Um, and if you're in the UK, then do download our Natasha's Law White Paper if you're a food business um, or obviously uh, Roland's podcast. 
Excellent. Thank you so much, Tara. And, and any investors who would like to start building early contacts with this awesome company to invest in next year, happy to provide the introduction to Taryn as well. So uh, please feel free to reach out to me as well. All right. Excellent uh, uh, interview, Taryn. I really uh, have been so honored to have you on the podcast. I love the vision and how much you're doing to uh, build a healthier planet. And uh, I'm looking forward to see how many hundreds of millions of dollars or pounds, if you will, you can generate with your small team. Thank you very much, Ronan. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Like what you heard? Subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Tune in next time for more tech news and interviews with some of the brightest minds in tech today.